Amateur Radio News Nine Report Number Twenty Three Eighty Two with the release date of Friday, June Twenty Third, Twenty Twenty Three. To follow in five, four, three, two, one. The following is a QST. Hams get on the air as a cyclone hits India. The FCC systems go back online and get ready to chase the thirteen colonies special event stations. All this and more as Amateur Radio News Nine Report Number Twenty Three Eighty Two comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline, Amateur Radio's first independent on-the-air news and bulletin service. Now, reporting from Wadsworth, Ohio, Stephen Kenford, N8WB. Our top story takes us to India, where hams played a crucial role in public safety and communication as a cyclone enveloped the region. More on that from Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. Amateur radio operators in western India were deployed and kept on high alert as Cyclone Bipajoy closed in on the western shore near the port of Jakar on Thursday, June 15th, tearing roofs of houses and leaving thousands without power. Local news reports from the Indian state of Gujarat said that the state's Disaster Management Authority responded to power outages and other damage by deploying six ham radio teams, two of them in the district near the port of Jakal, as well as a number of mobile units. Pakistan and India had already moved an estimated 173,000 people to shelters in preparation for the storm's arrival. The deadly cyclone killed at least two people in India before weakening and heading towards Pakistan's southern coastal areas. The name of the cyclone, Bipajoy, means disaster in Bengali. This is Jim Meachin. ZL2BHF. In the United States, the FCC reported an end to the long shutdown of some of its systems, much to the relief of hams and others needing to file documents. Paul Brown, WD9GCL, brings us that report. The Federal Communications Commission's nearly month-long outage of its universal licensing system and related systems has ended. The systems came back online on a limited basis on Wednesday, June 21st. A public announcement by the FCC alerted users to the remaining unavailability of the system's query download function, which permits search results to be saved as text files. The shutdown put the brakes on amateur radio filings and other FCC applications that were facing immediate deadlines, causing widespread frustration and much wider speculation as to the cause behind the shutdown. The FCC's public announcement did not address the cause, and despite repeated requests from Amateur Radio Newsline to clarify what had occurred, the agency referred only to the announcement on the website. The announcement cited, quote, technical issues, end quote. It was not possible to determine specifically where those issues occurred or why they occurred and whether there had been a security breach or if any presumed built-in redundancies failed to operate properly. The FCC said it has provided deadline extensions for filings that were affected by the shutdown and that it expects high traffic on its systems in the days to come. Those ULS applications that were impacted will not need to pay waiver fees, seek waivers, or provide any special attachments. The FCC said that the deadline extensions and other relief measures only apply to those filings between the outage period of June 9th through June 29th. This is Paul Brown, WD9GCO. The World Radio Sport Team Championship, which is about to open shortly near Bologna, Italy, has gained the official patronage and support of the Ministry of Enterprises and the Made in Italy Initiative. 
The competition is being held in a region of Italy known as an economic engine because of the strength of its business ventures in technology and craftsmanship. This recognition adds a much-needed boost following the devastating floods that swept the region, challenging the organizers of the event, which takes place on July 4th through July 11th. It's a historic milestone for an on-air event that celebrates America's revolutionary past. Amateur Radio Newsline Mark Abramovich, NT3V, has the story. It's back and marking its 15th year on the ham bands. It's the annual 13-colony special event running this year from July 1st to July 7th. Bob Josuai, WA3PZO, is coordinator for WM3PEN, a special call sign activated from the Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. It's a relatively easy event for many people to operate, just making contact with one or more of the 13 special event stations in each of the 13 colonies. Plus, we've added in, over the years, uh, three bonus stations, WM3PEN in Philadelphia, GB13COL in England, and uh, recently TM13COL in France. Josh White says activity during the 13 Colony Special Event has been climbing rapidly in recent years, and there were some occasional pileups, so you may need a little patience and persistence to get through. Last year, we were well over a quarter million contacts for all the stations combined, and for uh, WM3PEN back in 2013, I believe it was, we were just around 3,000 contacts last year. We were closer to 13,000. There's a special certificate offered to operators working the event, and each of the groups running stations in the original 13 colonies has special QSL cards tied to this year's theme surrounding the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We'll be on all modes at different uh, times. HF, uh, the satellites, will have some SSTV. Best thing to do is watch the uh, various spotting networks such as uh, DX Summit. There's a uh, 13 colonies Facebook page, which uh, people can monitor as well. Joshua says you don't have to be a contester to work the stations. He says the operators at each station realize how much interest there is. Many, Joshua White says, will be operating long hours, even on the 4th of July holiday, to make sure every station they can work gets into the log. For a link to the group's website, go to the text version of this story published on our website, arnewsline.org. I'm Mark Abramovich, NT3V. The challenge is on, are you up to it? The European Space Agency and S5 Lab are inviting hams around the world to get involved in making a special contact through the digipeter of an educational CubeSat known as LEDSAT. Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, tells us how to get involved. LEDSAT, an LED CubeSat developed by university students in Rome, with assistance from AMSAT Italia, was created primarily to demonstrate an LED-based payload to be used with ground-based optical tracking. Starting on June 26th and through to July 30th, it takes on a secondary purpose. It is part of a challenge to hams that will win them the prize of a personalized QSL card designed just for this competition. Hams are being asked to send a digital message via satellite to PI9ESA, the ground station of the ESA's education office. The CubeSat follows a sun-synchronous orbit, and its digipeter will be activated at certain times. It has two communication windows, one around midday and one around midnight. Operators will be based at the ESA ground station to copy the messages. Hams are encouraged to use their preferred pass prediction software to assist in the contact. 
LEDSAT's DigiPeter has the ability to store and forward digital messages with a delay of up to two days. For details about frequencies being used and other procedures of the operation, visit the ESA website at esa.int and search for LEDSAT. The challenge was organized to celebrate the launch of LEDSAT in August of 2021. The chief executive officer of iFixit, a business that provides toolkits and repair guides for do-it-yourselfers, distinguished himself on the California campus of his alma mater recently. Kyle Weens, who graduated from California Polytechnic State University, took his ham radio license exam under the watchful eye of volunteer examiners from the Cal Poly Amateur Radio Club. W6BHZ. He passed, becoming the newest licensee, number 2000. It was a different kind of graduation for Kyle, who founded his company with a friend in a campus dorm room in 2003 while he was still a student at Cal Poly. Six years later, in 2009, the on-campus amateur radio club began offering license exams for students and the public. According to an article on the club's website, Kyle wasn't the only one from iFixit to claim newfound status as a licensee. Several members of the iFixit team were also there and passed right along with the boss. Time for you to identify your station. We're the amateur radio newsline heard on bulletin stations around the world, including the KD2SL repeater in Syracuse, New York at 8 p.m. following the Monday Night Hobby and Information Net. Japan's Ham Fair continues to be the largest ham fest in the world, and the Japan Amateur Radio League has high hopes that at the 2023 event, visitors will enjoy a new era in amateur radio this coming August. In fact, that new era is the very theme of the two-day event, August 20th and 21st, at Tokyo's Big Site Convention Center. This will be the 45th year for the league's ham fair, which was canceled in 2021 due to concerns about the pandemic. Before Japan's ham fair, however, the weekend of the release of this newscast, Europe's largest ham fest, the 46th ham radio event in Friedrichshafen, was getting underway in the new Mesa Expo Center. In Washington, D.C., the FCC's policy on wideband devices has once again responded to changes in the market. We have details from Kent Peterson, KC0DGY. The FCC's policy concerning ultra-wideband devices appears to be broadening to allow for expanded growth in the way the technology is used, according to a recent report. A June 13th posting written by Venable LLC and posted on the website jdsupra.com noted that the agency granted a waiver of Part 15 rules to the Schlage Lock Company, LLC, to enable the security firm to put one of its ultra-wideband home security locks on the market. The report said it was the first waiver of its kind to be granted this year, but the action appears to show that the FCC is continuing on a 20-year trajectory to relax its permissions for ultra-wideband technology. Nearly 20 such waivers have been granted over the years for this unlicensed use of low-power RF signals, generally employed for security uses, medical imaging, and even robotic lawnmowers. The Slage Company made the request on behalf of its residential door locks, which make use of ultra-wideband signals in combination with Bluetooth. The website's report notes that the Commission bases its approval of a waiver request if it determines licensed radio services would not face harmful interference when such a device is in use. The Commission's Office of Engineering and Technology concluded there was a low likelihood of harmful interference in this case, especially with the transmissions taking place in a small space relatively close to the ground. 
The Venable article did say, however, that the FCC has not indicated it was considering a policy change or any kind of overall update for ultra-wideband technologies. This is Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY. Are you enjoying Newsline's weekly ham radio haiku? Join our challenge. We're inviting listeners to share the joy of amateur radio in the form of a haiku. On our website, arnewsline.org, you will find a submission form for sending your most creative offering. Be sure you follow the traditional form to qualify. The first line is five syllables, the second line is seven syllables, and the finishing third line has another five syllables. Be sure to match that format to qualify. Our team will pick from the best submissions that follow the 575-syllable rule and represent the love of amateur radio. Your prize? Bragging rights. And a featured spot for your haiku on the Amateur Radio Newsline's website. Meanwhile, visit our website at arnewsline.org to see this week's winning haiku. In amateur radio, there's code, as in Morris code, and then there's coding, the kind of coding some hams use in programming for their equipment. Jeremy Boot, G4NJH, tells us how the Radio Society of Great Britain has big plans for newcomers to coding. Ham radio learning has been transformed by the BBC Microbit and the Arduino, and hams attracted to the kind of coding involved rapidly gaining enthusiasm. The Radio Society of Great Britain is preparing for National Coding Week, which takes place during the third week of September, and is looking for volunteers who can develop activities to encourage newcomers to coding, newcomers of all ages, to explore this new experience. The RSGB will be putting an extra emphasis on coding skills during the third week of September, and hopes HAMS will offer some creative approaches for amateurs of all ages. If you have an idea, please contact John Hislop, G7OHO, of the Exam and Syllabus Review Group. You can find his email in the text version of this week's Newsline script. This is Jeremy Bucci for NJH. In Australia, hams who belong to one radio group know that a lot has happened in the last 100 years, and they're celebrating all those years. For good reason. John Williams, VK4JJW, tells us what it's all about. Congratulations to the Ballarat Amateur Radio Group, VK3BML, which is marking its 100th anniversary with a month-long on-air event. It was big news in June of 1923 when the Ballarat Star newspaper announced the formation of a ham radio group and informed readers of its first general meeting on the 23rd of June. At the time, the organisation was identified as the Ballarat Amateur Radio Club. Under the leadership of Ben Daniel, VK3NRD, the members themselves are not certain how the original ham groups may have changed, especially with the slight difference in its name, and they continue to research their history. Meanwhile, members are celebrating their centenary. There's no special event call sign, but hams around the world are being asked to listen for individual stations from Ballarat in the state of Victoria, Australia, and share in the special occasion. This is John Williams, VK4 JJW. In the world of DX, be listening for Dave, W9DR on the air as VP2V slash W9DR from Anagata in the British Virgin Islands. IOTA number N. A-023 from the 23rd to the 29th of June. He's using FT8, Q65, SSB, and CWN 6 meters only. QSL direct to his home call. Be listening for Ken, K4ZW, and Bob, W9XY, operating with the call sign ET3AA, the Ethiopian Amateur Radio Society's club station, 
at the Addis Ababa University's Institute of Technology from June 19th to the 29th. They will be using CW, SSB, and FT8 on 6 meters and all HF bands except for 80 meters. CQRZ.com for QSL details. In the Amami Islands, IOTA number AS-023, MASA JF3ELH will be using the call sign JF3ELH-6 slash for CW and SSB and will be using the call sign JF3ELH-P slash for FT8 operations. He will be operating on 80 to 6 meters QSL via home call. Listen for Yes, J-A-1-Q-Q-U on the air as K-H-2 slash J-A-1-Q-Q-U from Guam, IOTA number OC-026 from the 29th of June until the 4th of July. CQRZ.com for more details. Fans of GPS Global Positioning Satellite Navigation might soon be feeling a little fickle about their allegiance to this system. There's a new option in town, or there will be soon enough. Graham Kemp, VK4BB, concludes this week's report with his story about the promises offered by a special kind of subatomic particle. They're known as mahurons, subatomic high-energy particles that always travel at the same speed. They can be found all over the Earth, and researchers at the University of Tokyo are studying these readily available mahurons as the basis for wireless navigation that can also function indoors, underwater, and beneath the ground. Hiroyuki Tanaka calls it the mahuron positioning system. Unlike GPS devices which gather information from low Earth orbit satellites, muirometric positioning uses the reference point of muon detecting sensors. Researchers acknowledge that while this shows promise, accuracy needs to be further fine-tuned before the system can be deployed in devices such as smartphones. But it certainly means that navigation itself could travel in a whole new direction. I'm Graham Kemp. VK4BB. Do you have a piece of amateur radio news that you think Newsline would be interested in? We're not talking about advertising your club's upcoming ham fest or field day participation, but something that's out of the ordinary. And if so, send us a brief overview via the contact page at arnewsline.org. If it's newsworthy and we'd like to cover it, we'll get back to you for more details. With thanks to Amateur Radio Daily, AMSAT News Service, ARRL, ARIS-USA, Associated Press, Ballarat Amateur Radio Group, Cal Poly Amateur Radio Club, CQ Magazine, David Behar, K7DB, DX-World.net, EHAM.net, 425DX News, iFixit website, IFL Science, QRZ.com, Radio Society of Great Britain, Radio World, ShortwaveRadio.de, Times of India, Venable LLC, Wireless Institute of Australia, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. We remind our listeners that Amateur Radio Newsline is an all-volunteer, non-profit organization that incurs expenses for its continued operation. And if you wish to support us, please visit our website at airnewsline.org and know that we appreciate you all. We also remind our listeners that if you like our newscast, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to us. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT at the news desk in New York, and our news team worldwide. I'm Stephen Kinford, N8WB in Wadsworth, Ohio, saying 73. And as always, we thank you for listening. Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2023. All rights reserved.